Well, what are you trusting in to get you through life? What is it that um, when you face significant challenges or threats that you ultimately kind of rely on? That is the big question that uh, Isaiah is asking of us all through this whole book. Because we can say as Christians that we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, but actually when the challenges are really on, uh, what is it that we turn to? In an article, David Powlison uh, wrote uh, this and asked some penetrating questions. He said this, What do you do when you become anxious? What do you do when um, you become preoccupied and filled with uh, fretful concerns? Something happens and you, and you can't get it out of your mind. And as the sin of worry sort of tightens uh, its unpleasant hold on your soul, what do you do at that point? Maybe you choose some form of escapism. Uh, maybe you reach for the TV remote and, and immerse yourself in some uh, TV drama. Or maybe you uh, read a novel. Or maybe you deal with stress by going shopping because that's what's really going to make you happy. Or maybe you reach for the bottle of wine. Or maybe you turn to the prescription painkillers. What is it that we lean on? Is it an escapist way of dealing with our troubles? Or perhaps there's another route. We, we can sort of get hyperactive. We can mobilize uh, and, and get busy. You know, We can um, clean the house, uh, get mad, um, make lots of phone calls, uh, work late in the night to just get things together, to get in charge of things. And what's going on when we behave like that? Well, Pallinson goes on to say this. As a Christian, we profess that God controls all things and works everything to his glory and our ultimate well-being. We profess that God is our rock and our refuge, a very present help in whatever troubles we face. We profess to worship him, to trust him, to love him, to obey him. But in that moment or season of anxiety, uh, when we seek ways of escape, we are saying that we are uh, finding um, other lords that will save us. Or if we respond to drivenness, we live as if we can control all things and, and we are seeking self-salvation. We can say we're trusting Christ, he goes on to say, but in our actions we show that we're depending on money or someone's approval or academic success or our health or getting our way or we're depending on the things, these things more than trusting and loving God. And so we can actually live as if some temporary good feeling could provide refuge or as if our actions could make the world right. What we do when we turn to these other things is we are making a functional God that competes with the God we profess to trust. So what are we actually trusting in when, when times get tough? What is our God? Who is our God? For King Hezekiah in the 8th century before Christ... The big threat to his kingdom of Judah was the superpower of the day, the Assyrian Empire, which is in green there on the PowerPoint slide. That was the big threat, and, and Assyria was crushing all the nations before it. Um, as a descendant of King David, 
He was, he was God's anointed king. He was a, a God-fearing man. A man who knew the, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And yet against this military threat with nations being conquered around him, he was, he was under pressure to do something. In what would he put his trust? In whom would he put his trust? Well, the political solution really must have seemed quite obvious to all his uh, political advisors. They should make an alliance with Egypt, which is this other power to their south and their west. They need to depend on Egypt for safety. But Isaiah has a message from the Lord about Egypt, who they were tempted to put their trust in. And So please open your Bibles to page 702. And uh, Isaiah chapter 19, Isaiah chapter 19, and you'll find that in the Red Bibles uh, at page 702. I'm going to read this chapter and, and to chapter 20. An oracle concerning Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians melt within them. I will stir up against Egyptian, I will stir up Egyptian against Egyptian. Brother will fight against brother, neighbor against neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. The Egyptians will lose heart, and I will bring their plans to nothing. They will consult the idols and the spirits of the dead, the mediums and the spiritists. I will hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master, and of a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The waters of the river will dry up, and the river bed will be parched and dry. The canals will stink. The streams of Egypt will dwindle and dry up. The reeds and rushes will wither, also the plants along the Nile at the mouth of the river. Every sown field along the Nile will become parched, will blow away and be no more. The fishermen will groan and lament. All who cast hooks into the Nile, those who throw nets on the water will pine away. Those who work with combed flax will despair. The weavers of fine linen will lose hope. The workers in cloth will be dejected, and all the wage earners will be sick at heart. The officials of Zone are nothing but fools. The wise counselors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise men, a disciple of the ancient kings? Where are your wise men now? Let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned against Egypt. The officials of Zone have become fools. The leaders of Memphis are deceived. The cornerstones of her peoples have led Egypt astray. The Lord has poured into them a spirit of dizziness. They make Egypt stagger in all that she does. As a drunkard staggers around in his vomit, there is nothing Egypt can do, head or tail, palm branch or reed. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women. They will shudder with fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. And the land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against them. 
In that day, five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. One of them will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and he'll respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria, blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt my people, Assyria my handiwork, and Israel my inheritance. In the year that the supreme commander sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amos. He said to him, Take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so, going around stripped and barefoot. Then the Lord said, just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away, stripped and barefoot, the Egyptian captives and Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. Those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be afraid and put to shame. In that day, the people who live on this coast will say, See what has happened to those we relied on, those we fled to for help and deliverance from the king of Assyria. How then can we escape? This is God's words. Well, keep your Bibles open. We're going to examine this section. As you can see, Isaiah was very committed to getting his message across, wasn't he? I doubt this passage has been preached on in quite a while. But what we see in these verses uh, is three reasons why it was foolish for Judah to put their trust in Egypt rather than maintaining their trust in the Lord. And in these, I, I believe, we are reminded of the reasons why we should maintain our trust in the Lord rather than depending on the functional gods that this world holds out to us. And I just want to take the time just to look through these uh, two chapters and examine the points. So firstly, depending on Egypt instead of the Lord would be foolish because firstly, the Lord is mightier. And if, if Judah is going to go looking to Egypt for salvation, what they need to realize is that Egypt needs salvation themselves. See, look what happens when the Lord rides into the town called Egypt. It is absolutely staggering uh, under his judgment. Verse 1, an oracle against concerning Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. 
And as Egypt sees the Lord coming, the, the idols of Egypt are trembling before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians melt within them. What we see here, I think, really are the problems of a world that seeks to set up a society that does not acknowledge God. And all the evidences we see here of, uh, of the problems that Egypt faced, I, I believe, are, are visible in our society today. Uh, the problems of a disintegrating society in verses 2 to 4. Look at the social divisions there. I'll stir up Egyptian against Egyptian. Brother will fight against brother. Neighbor against neighbor. City against city. Kingdom against kingdom. And as we look out in the world today, we see lots of family divisions. We see dysfunctional communities. We see cities and nations disintegrating. We see disrespect. We see hatred within a society. Uh, even down to people trolling each other on social media. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. We see the blame culture that is rich in our society. We see class envy. We see bitterness. We see sectarianism and, and some really ugly forms of nationalism. And all of this should wake us up to this fact that God is at work in judgment. These are the signs that God is already moving and judging a society that sets itself up against God. It's the Lord who's acting in this way, verse 2. I will stir it up. God is at work in judgment as he kind of hands us over to pursue our own uh, sinful and selfish desires. This is what we do when we explore our sinfulness. It is a disintegrating world. And such a divided uh, culture is is ripe for the rise of cruel dictators. Verse 4, I will hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master and a fierce king will rule over them. And then there is the crashing economy of verses 5 to 10. See, what you need to realize as we think about Egypt is that the engine of the Egyptian economy was the Nile River. And God is going to judge their economy. Verse 5, the, the waters of the river will dry up and the riverbed will be parched and dry. The canals will stink. The streams of Egypt will dwindle and dry up. And this is just going to devastate the whole economy, both uh, for those who work the land that needs the water, for those who fish in the sea, for those who make uh, clothes and, and, and products from the, the products of the field. It will all be devastated when God comes in judgment. And the end result, verse 10b, is something we're beginning to know about and all the wage earners will be sick at heart. Wow, I've been sobered as I've studied this passage just to see the many ways in which uh, God is speaking of his judgment against Egypt. Uh, the signs of those judgment are signs that we see all around us today. Uh, the huge pride that we had here in Scotland over our banking uh, and financial services, well, that's looking rather forlorn. It's been very humbling. Uh, for those who've sought to put their confidence in money to see that the economy is the answer to all our problems. Increasing prosperity and driving forward is looking pretty weak as an idol to trust now, isn't it? And we've got the great European project of the central currency uh, as desperately looking shaky as more and more money is pumped in to, 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 to prevent what almost seems an inevitable collapse of the euro. And you've got the Western democratic countries who are in colossal debt. Uh, there are so many countries right now who owe more than they earn in one year. Colossal debt. 
Are these, according to Isaiah, not signs that God is already moving in judgment? I think it is. And according to Isaiah, it's not just um, a failing economy, but it is the emptiness of political wisdom. Look at verse 11. The officials of Zone are nothing but fools. The wise counselors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. How can they say to Pharaoh, I'm the one of the wise men, a disciple of the ancient kings. Where are your wise men now? Let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned against Egypt. All the clever strategies of political wisdom are utterly foolish if they do not take into account the God who is the maker of heaven and earth. The God who is working out his big plans and purposes in history. And the proposal to redefine marriage is just one of many ways that we see uh, a society moving away from biblical wisdom and, according to Isaiah the prophet, moving into increasing foolishness. And behind all of this is the spiritual issue uh, of God's judgment, giving people over to their sinfulness. Look at verse 14. The Lord has poured into them a spirit of dizziness. They make Egypt stagger in all that she does as a drunkard staggers around in his vomit. If you ever wonder what that looks like, just come to Rose Street uh, uh, early on a Sunday morning, about one o'clock in the morning. You'll get plenty of evidence of this. Well, Judah, um, Isaiah says, uh, do you really want a safe drive home by handing the keys of your car to a, uh, a drunk stumbling around in his vomit? Uh, I don't think... Anybody does that. Egypt can't be the hope of your salvation, Judah, because it needs to be saved from the Lord itself. That's the point. It is very hard for us because we, we instinctively believe that what we see with our eyes and can touch is, is more real than the God that we cannot see. But it's an illusion. The visible world of banks and commerce, of parliaments and presidents, of armies and nations. I'm glad that they're there. They're, they're useful. But the problem is, is if we look to those as our functional God. If we look to rely on these as the things that we ultimately trust in. If we think those are the really solid things. Those are the really important things that, that we must either fear or that we must either trust. Then we need to hear Isaiah's message. That they're apparent. Permanence and security is a total illusion. The only certain solid security is the Lord Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. The one who's revealed himself to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose resurrection from the dead proclaims him to be God's king, Lord over everything, who should be the rightful one who rules over our lives. And it is God's will and purpose that will last for all eternity. Why put our trust in the very things that are obviously passing away under God's judgment? That's the message of Isaiah. Why do that? Instead of trusting the mighty Lord who, uh, who rules over everything and has shown that as, as death is conquered through the Lord Jesus Christ. But as Christians, we are still prone to put our trust in the wrong things. So the Apostle John uh, writes to these Christians, doesn't he, as we read at the beginning of the service, and he writes with these words, Do not love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, that is the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. The last few Fridays I've been uh, working in, at home just to kind of have a quiet space to work. And I, I've been looking at my window and I've been seeing a house opposite. It's been derelict, I think, apparently for over 15 years. It's uh, been owned by uh, an older lady. And um, I, I don't really know what's happened. Um, but over the last few weeks... Um, there's been a truck out there and men have basically been clearing the house. And it's been a sobering thing to see. They've opened up the garage and there's boxes and boxes of, of stuff that clearly once were very precious to this woman. She, she'd bought this stuff um, as she moved to a, 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 an easier flat to live in. She clearly had thought, well, this stuff's important. I'm going to box it up. I'm going to keep it, keep it precious. It's, it's important to her. And here, these men were going through her precious, paid-for things and saying, oh, rubbish, in the skip, in the skip, in the skip. It's only good for landfill now. Isn't that sobering? We can get so attached to things that are actually ultimately worthless, that will mold and rust and decay. And we can depend, or we can put our trust of our lives in things that, 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 that are just passing away. Do not love the world, John says, or anything in the world, because the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. So that's the first reason not to uh, trust this functional gods of this world, because the Lord is mightier. And secondly, because the Lord is the source of blessing. Uh, do you see, as you look at the chapter in front of you on page 703, that you've got kind of uh, paragraphed poetry, and then verse 16, it moves into sort of prose, solid blocks. And, and there's a shift in gear at verse 16. And you get these five sections that all start with the phrase, in that day. And roughly, if the first 15 verses are about Egypt's problem, the next uh, set of verses are all about the Lord's solution. And Isaiah prophesies that there is a future day coming when Egypt will actually come to seek the Lord for salvation and put its trust in the Lord as the source of all blessing. See, instead of, a, of, of the day that they're living in where there's intense hostility between Egypt and Assyria and Judah stuck in the middle, fearing all around it, there's going to be a day of reconciliation and unity. Uh, this judgment against Egypt has the purpose of actually waking Egypt up in order to seek salvation from the Lord as Savior and Rescuer. And, and this beautiful phrase, the Lord strikes to heal. Look at verse 22. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. In that day... Uh, uh, they will turn to the Lord and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. 
Verse 23, in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and Assyria to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. So Isaiah prophesies there's a day coming when these ancient enemies will be reconciled and united with Judah in in a common language, verse 18. Um, In a common worship, verse 23, and in a common experience of salvation, verse 20. It will be, verse 20, a sign and a witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt when they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors. He will send them a savior and defender and he will rescue them. He looks forward to a day when both Jews and non-Jewish nations, including Egyptians and Syria, will experience the blessings of the Lord. Look at verse 25. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. What a crazy thing to do, to go looking for Egypt for help, Isaiah says, when one day Egypt will recognize the only help it can get is from the Lord himself. Why stop trusting the Lord to trust in Egypt when one day Egypt will be calling out to this same Lord for salvation and looking to him for blessing? Why give up that hope that one day all will turn to? That's the point, isn't it? And this is something that we have begun to see in peoples uh, from all over the world. As they, as it were, come to Judah and bow their knee to Judah's king, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it says in Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by his Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. God is a kind and loving God who comes to be the Savior of all who will turn and put their trust in him, more particularly to put their trust in Jesus Christ our Savior. And I love it that Uh, increasingly we're looking out on Charlotte Chapel and just seeing people from all over the nations, uh, from South Africa and uh, from Bulgaria and from Nigeria and from Wales. Oh, the glory of it. And and all all over, that, that we're just getting a wee taste here of what Isaiah is prophesying, a day when peoples from all the nations of the world will one day bow the knee before King Jesus and own him as their Lord and Savior. There is a day coming where the only thing left standing will be the kingdom of God. And and Revelation tells us it is a kingdom made up of all the nations of the world who worship the Lord Jesus who was slain for them. He died in their place so that their sins could be forgiven. 
I think sometimes people can hear the Christian uh, church and it sounds like they're saying, uh, we're the good people and you non-Christians are the bad people. And we're not saying that. We're saying we're all sinners. But we as a church have found our hope and our refuge and our place of forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the only hope of salvation. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think there's huge pressure on us as Christians now to lose confidence in the God of the Bible, to lose confidence in the gospel as the world pushes us back and say, well, that's your little privatized world. Keep it to yourself. Keep stum, Keep quiet. No, this is not a privatized faith. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It is not the structures of this world that will last and be permanent. They will pass away. Put your trust in Christ. Enter into his kingdom that will never pass away. And there's a third reason why trusting the world would be foolish, and that is because it will only lead to shame and despair. That's what chapter 20 is about. It is a surprising chapter, isn't it? I don't know if you ever thought, oh, how wonderful it would have been to be a prophet of the Lord. Well, I'm guessing we're all reevaluating that right now, aren't we? The Lord tells Isaiah, the prophet, to spend three years walking around Judah like a defeated exile, literally butt naked. Now, ten minutes of a streak or a sporting event is guaranteed to make lots of smiles. But I think three years would have grabbed people's attention. And it would have challenged some deeper thought. Uh, the context in the, in the 8th century is that the Assyrian Empire began campaigning against this Philistine city of Ashdod, which is referred to in verse 1. And this campaign began in 713 B.C took three years. And it sounds like at the beginning of this campaign against this Philistine city that God told Isaiah to enact this strange drama. Those who are doing drama, you can see, look, the Lord uses drama. So here we go. Uh, He has to enact this drama of walking around barefoot like a disgraced captive. He's looking like a defeated foe. And, and probably once a day, I doubt whether he was constantly like this, that would have been a bit too much, but probably once a day he walked out dressed like this. And you can imagine after a few years people twigging on, oh, he's talking about how uh, the Philistines are going to be defeated and uh, dragged off by the Assyrian Empire. But then comes uh, 711 B.C., as the fall of Ashdod uh, happens. And at that time, uh, the Lord tells Isaiah what to say. And the message would have been very surprising. His nakedness is not about the prisoners from Philistine being taken away, but it's the Egyptians. Look at verse 3. Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, So the king of Assyria will lead away, stripped and barefoot, the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. Those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be afraid and put to shame. 
in those days. The people who live on the coast will say, see what has happened to those who relied on, those we fled to for help and deliverance from the king of Assyria. How then can we escape? Here's Isaiah's final point. Thinking of giving up on your trust in the Lord to put your trust in Egypt? Well, that is a route that will only lead to shame and despair as the apparent uh, power of Egypt is shown to be utterly useless as they become a conquered people. And it is true, for anything that we trust in and rely upon in this world as functional gods, rather than trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will one day be ashamed of those things. We'll be shamed by the fact that there's no power in them. There's no permanence in them. There's nothing of lasting salvation or deliverance in them. And when those things that people rely on are taken away, there's just despair, isn't it? Well, how can we survive? How can we? It is all gone. And this past week, we've seen huge fines for Barclays Bank and shame put on uh, its head for those who kind of so pursued money and profit that they sought to dishonestly manipulate this uh, interbank lending rate. In this last week, we've seen a former Wall Street trader who faced 16 years in prison for burning down his three and a half million mansion uh, in order to collect the insurance, I think. Um, he, he died after the court uh, appeared, uh, after the, the court ruled against him as he appeared to take a suicide pill when the guilty verdict came. This past week, there's been a pastor who founded a megachurch in Singapore has been arrested on allegations he misused 11.5 million pounds in donations from his congregation in an attempt to launch the music career of his wife in the United States. All these stories, I think, just give ample contemporary evidence of the message of Isaiah is one that we still need to listen to today in the stresses and strains of life when we look to anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation we can be certain that those things will, will fail us will let us down why look anywhere else for salvation and strength when we have the privilege of putting our trust on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour so can I ask you today, what is it you are pinning your hopes on right now? What are you relying upon to get you through life? Would you heed God's word and say to trust these functional gods of the world? It's empty. Trust in the one true living God who's revealed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone. He'll forgive us for all the sins and the mess of the past. He can wash us clean. He can reconcile us to himself and to, to those around us if we'll only trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can come to you and rely and trust upon you through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for those, uh, thank you that there's hope for those who formerly worshipped idols, who pursued false gods in the redemption and reconciliation 
that Jesus achieved for us on the cross. Oh, Father, help us, we pray, to put our feet solidly on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this table that we can come to now that reminds us that we are reconciled with you. In Christ's precious name, amen.